the Sunday Sermons Podcast. Well, as always, welcome to Morrison Hill Christian Church. No matter the circumstances, we are always grateful for the opportunity to help you become a fully devoted and equipped follower of Jesus Christ. We've been walking in the last several weeks through that mission statement, exactly what we mean by that and where we get those ideas in the Bible and trying to increase the definition, if you will, of the picture of exactly what it looks like here and as we try to share that with the world. We empower people, we help people. If you missed that message, you need to go back. We empower them to become and keep becoming followers of Jesus Christ. This is an ongoing process, a journey a lifestyle. But today we're looking at the word fully. Fully is an adverb. It's, it, that means it describes how we do these other things. We do them fully. Fully means completely or purely. It means you have a clear purpose and a deliberate focus. And here at Morrison Hill, we are helping people become fully devoted and equipped followers of Jesus Christ. I'd like you to say this out loud with me, if you would. We must be fully committed to Christ. We must be fully committed to Christ. See, there's only two options. Either Jesus is your Savior and your Lord, or he is not. There's no other option. There's nothing in the middle. I don't know if you remember the story or the movie of The Matrix, but there's a powerful scene where the hero, Neo, seems to be walking into an old apartment and meeting with a a boy who's holding up a spoon. And the boy challenges him to bend the spoon with his mind and shows him how he can do it. Neo is trying to learn. He's still trying to get his brain around how this matrix works. And he first tries to just be a guy standing there bending the spoon with his mind and nothing happens. And he says, tell me the secret. What's the secret? And the little boy says, there is no spoon. I remember the first time I watched that movie, I was so confused, but you might be as well. Let me just explain it as simply as I can and why I'm including that this morning. It's this. In this story, in this world, the Matrix was actually just a big computer program. And Neo had this superpower where he could manipulate that program with his mind. But he was still interacting as a guy in a room with a boy and a spoon. And so it wasn't working because that doesn't work in real life. But when his perspective changed, when he fully embraced what was actually going on, when he fully embraced who he was and what his role was to play in that situation, the spoon bent easily. And that's exactly what happens with us when we fully commit to Christ. Our perspective changes. We start interacting with life and each other and God himself in completely different ways. When you make a full commitment, it changes your whole life. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is this one. It's in 1 Kings chapter 19. It's when Elijah calls Elisha. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. So he's a pretty successful farmer, a great leader who's also willing to work alongside the people that he had employed. I love that. But Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Now, it's not clear if Elijah 100% understood what Elisha was doing to go back and say goodbye. But what he actually did made it very clear. Watch what happens. 
Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? And so Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. And he burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat. And he gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. I love how in the Old Testament, even these obscure sounding stories are foreshadowing what Jesus calls us to do. Notice how he follows him and keeps following him. How he becomes and will keep becoming the prophet that he eventually became. I want to show you one more picture here. I just really want this to stick in your mind. I want you to remember this. I want this to come back. I want you to really, really get this and remember it. So here's one more picture. If there are any vegans or vegetarians out there, I apologize. I don't mean to offend you, but this just makes a lot of sense to me. What you're seeing is a picture of a breakfast of bacon and eggs. There are two animals that made some sort of a contribution to this. But the chicken just made a contribution. The, the, the pig made a full commitment. The, to have bacon, the, the pig has to give up everything. I hope that makes sense. In 2 Chronicles 16, King Asa of Israel formed an alliance with Ben-Hadad of Aram. The Arameans were their enemies, but at this time in the history of Israel, the kingdom had split. And so he was more worried about Judah, the other half of the kingdom, than he was about their other enemies. It seemed like a really good idea at the time until Hanani the seer, kind of a minor prophet, comes with a message for him from God. Here was his message. He says, because you relied on the king of Aram and not on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. When you relied on the Lord, he delivered your enemies into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. You have done a foolish thing, and from now on you will be at war. Sadly, what had happened here is he had been trying to hedge his bets. He'd been trying to pray, but also make sure on the side that he was going to get what he wanted, no matter what God did or did not do. And that was not okay with God. This, this deal that he'd made to try and quote-unquote guarantee what he wanted was the very thing that stole the opportunity of peace and prosperity away from him. Dr. Martin Luther King wrote, We are called to be a people of conviction, not conformity. Of moral nobility, not social respectability. Let me read that one more time. It's so powerful. We are called to be a people of conviction, not conformity. Of moral nobility, not social respectability. Even last week I quoted where Dr. King himself said, it's a good idea to listen, to be humble, to even take what your enemies, those who really disagree with you say very seriously. There's some wisdom you could get from them. You might learn, you might see some things that are in your own blind spots. It's always a good thing to use the brain that God give, gave you to keep learning and stay humble. That's not what this is saying when it says that we've got to be people of conviction, not conformity. What it's saying is this, if we put anything on the same pedestal as God or on an equal pedestal with God, if we put anything or anyone, any relationship, anything at all on a higher plane than we put God, that's an idol and that's one of God's most hated sins. 
In the Old Testament, they carried around what they called household gods, kind of action figures or something. That sounds really foreign to us that we would pray to a little object. But all of us, in one way or another, have experienced this where we put our trust, sometimes as much or more trust than we put in God, in a person or an object or a relationship or anything other than God. And it's not okay with him. Jesus himself Listen to his words in Luke 9. Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Who is, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them. When he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. We'll actually talk more about this next week when we talk about what we mean by the word devoted. But I hope it's clear. I hope we can build on this and keep going that we must be fully committed to Jesus Christ. Anything less than complete, pure, 100% commitment to him is nothing at all really. We've missed the whole point. But there's so much more. The second thing that fully means to us is that we must love fully. We must love the way that Jesus loves. Here, here's what that means. We don't waste time worrying about what others think about us or how they're going to interpret what we do or how our needs might get met in this situation. Instead, we simply acknowledge we have already made our choice to love God with all our heart all our soul, all our mind, all our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself as the ultimate expression of how much we love him. This is the choice we make in advance, and everything else is just details. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan? There were, I'm sure you've heard this, there were two guys that Jesus, Jesus made up in this story that were People they'd assume were good guys, religious guys, but they don't help the person. The original hearers of the story probably thought that was good. They probably had good reasons not to. And then the guy that they would have assumed is the hero, the Samaritan, he actually does help this person. And what Jesus did was he flips the original question. He told this story in response to the question, who is my neighbor? Who is this person I've got to love the way I love myself in order to please God? Jesus flips the question and says, who was a neighbor to the guy who needed help? Again, Dr. Martin Luther King. I imagine that the first question the priest and the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But by the very nature of his concern, the good Samaritan reversed the question. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him. The Good Samaritan engaged in a dangerous altruism. I love the word altruism. Let's acknowledge that it is dangerous. But the words, three words or three root words that form that word kind of combine into something that's bigger than the sum. All means all. True means true. Ism means a way of life or a perspective, a way of understanding things, a way of doing things. But it's not just about what is actually true. The word altruism means 
putting others first. If someone is altruistic, they consistently love others like they love themselves, often more. They often self-sacrifice. These people come across as very self-confident and very proactive because they've already made that choice in advance. They already know, I need to reach out to this person. Instead of asking what's going to happen to me, they're always asking what would happen to them if I don't help. And they help them. The Apostle John writes this, We know that we have come to know him, Jesus, if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete, full in them. This is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Again, in the next couple of weeks, we'll explore even more about what Jesus did to love us fully. The example that he set of devotion and all the other things that we follow as we follow him. But let me just say it one more time. Jesus loved fully, completely, purely. And he calls us to do the same. Anything less is not truly following Jesus. And finally, we need to live fully. We, we love fully and we live fully. Say that out loud if you would. We must live fully. Jesus said he came to give us life and to help us live life to the full. And the truth is that every household God that we hold on to, every other fake thing that we think is going to do a better job of meeting our needs than God will ultimately, every single one will fail us. Every single one actually steals away some of the blessing that could be there for us if we just trusted God completely. I'm sure you recognize the phrasing there of having a life and life to the full. It comes from John 10.10. 10. And it's not a mistake, let me say this out loud, it's not a mistake to interpret John 10.10 10 as, a, as a great way to describe both Jesus and the devil. People just talk about the thief is the devil, he steals and he kills and destroys. I, I think that's a good application of how that works. But to really understand what Jesus is saying, you need to look in context of the whole passage there in John 10. He's not really talking about what the devil's like as much as he's describing himself in his role as the good shepherd. Jesus says that he lays down his life for his sheep, that he guides them, that he knows them and they know him, that they know his voice so well that they will not follow any other voice but him. They trust him. They know that he is going to take care of them. They know that they can follow him, literally follow him, not metaphorically, it's a verb, follow him all throughout every day and know that he is there for them. They can trust him. The thief, then, is anything or anyone besides the good shepherd. Of course, it's the devil, but it's not just the devil. It's anybody or anything but Jesus. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. There's no good reason for the thief to show up at all. But the good shepherd, Jesus said he is the good shepherd. The good shepherd comes to give them life, life to the full. Jesus used this imagery of fullness in several different ways. In Matthew 6, he says that if we pray or fast or do other things in front of others just so that it looks good, that we've already received our reward in full. 
And he doesn't mean the full reward that God wants to give us. He means that's all you're going to get because you're doing it for the wrong reason. In Matthew 12, he talks about that we speak out of what our heart is full of. That what is inside of us is what boils out. And we should be careful. We should notice what boils out. Because what is inside needs to change. We need to be fully committed to God. He confronted the, the leaders of his day, the religious leaders in Matthew 23. He confronted them. He said, on the outside, you're all beautiful and shiny. But on the inside, you're like a tomb. You're full of dead men's bones. Jesus wants us to be fully committed, to love fully, and to live fully. Paul writes this to the Colossians. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He, he spends some time here in this great passage. And he compares the Old Testament imagery of circumcision to baptism and all the other wonderful things that Jesus has in for us in the New Testament. And he says, unlike in the old days when just a part of the men's body was cut off as a symbol. He says, your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Like we looked at last week, he gives us a chance to completely start over, to truly change to completely become a new person, a different kind of human being. Proverbs 28.5 says, Evildoers do not understand what is right, but those who seek the Lord understand it fully. We learn by doing. When we fully embrace that this is, this is who I am, this is my identity, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm going to love like he loved, I'm going to live like he lived, suddenly everything changes and it starts to make sense as we experience it. In Luke 6.40, Jesus himself said, the student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. You become like them over time, as they train, as they learn, as they continue to obey, as they continue to live life with their teacher that they are following around. The image of the eagle is all throughout the scripture in various ways. This week I actually derailed a little bit in some research and I, I wish I could share all of it. I, it was pretty exciting, but the one big idea that came out of that that I really feel like I need to share with you today is this. Eagles are the only birds that are documented of getting away from a rainstorm by flying above the clouds. Almost every other creature, every other bird, it, they, they, when they know that they're going to get caught in a rainstorm, and even eagles could get killed by a bad enough rainstorm, but they usually tend, all the other ones tend to find shelter. They, they just see the water coming down and they try to hide under something to get away. But somehow or another, eagles know that they can get above the cloud that the water is coming out of and be safe. Just like how they fly by not flapping their wings and generating the, all the energy themselves, but by finding where the air currents are, where the hot air is, the, the thermals that rise them up and just gliding above it all. 
They're, they have a completely, I hope this is making sense, they have a completely different perspective. And they have fully embraced that. While everybody else is hiding underneath the storm, they're soaring above it. James writes, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you. But when you ask, listen, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Once again, let me clarify that just for a second. When it says that you cannot doubt, it doesn't mean that a doubt can't go through your head. When it says do not fear, it doesn't mean that the emotion of fear can't boil up sometimes. It's all about what you act on. It's all about how fully you have embraced the truth. How fully you embrace that God is God and that you are a follower of him. You are his child and that no matter what else is happening, you're going to act on that reality. Not on whatever other emotion, positive or negative, that you may be feeling at the time. It simplifies things. It, all the choices, the biggest, hardest choices of life get made in advance. It simplifies things. But please don't make any mistake. It doesn't make it easy. In fact, to follow Jesus often makes it harder. Simple, but not easy. Simple, but hard. In the late 1950s, Billy Graham and his team popularized an English arrangement of an old Indian hymn. And by Indian, I mean people from India, not the wonderful people who are the original Americans, the native people, indigenous people of this great land. But in India, there were believers since about the mid-1600s. And they had this song that came from a traditional folk tune of theirs. It, the original version sounded very Indian, if you've ever heard Indian music. And from the lyrics that they set to this folk tune were the words of a man who died for his faith. And they, they told this story and they sang this song to remember the idea of being fully committed to God and exactly what could happen if you did that. See, there was a Garo man, a man from the Garo people. His name was Gokseng. And Gokseng was the first person to convert to Christianity in that area. And his chief was not happy about it. In fact, he was so upset about it that he got Gokseng and his wife and his children together in front of all of the people in the village. And he said, if you don't renounce Jesus, I will kill your family. I will kill your wife. I will kill you. Of course, they were speaking a different language. But in that language, Gokseng replied, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Well, they killed his children right there in front of him. He said again, 
I'm telling you, I will kill your wife and you if you do not renounce Jesus. And Gogsang said, though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. They killed his wife. He gave him one more chance. He said, I'm telling you, I will kill you if you don't renounce Jesus. And Gogsang said, the world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back. And they killed him. Doesn't sound like a happy ending, does it? Why would they keep telling this story? Why would they sing about it? I'll tell you, because that's not the end of the story. After they had all killed this whole family for their faith in Jesus, it occurred to the chief and to the people that nobody had ever in their area, no, they'd never seen anybody believe that fully in anything. There was no one who would be willing to watch their family die and watch get killed themselves for something or someone that they believed in. And they were so inspired that the chief led them to pursue this idea and find out more about this Jesus. And they all, the entire Garo people, came to follow Christ. Maybe you've heard this song. I'd like to sing it. I'd like you to sing it with me. There's going to be another song here in a few moments, but I'd like you to sing this song. I'd like you to share with me as I worship God. And I'd like you to make this commitment. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back, no turning back. That's what it means. That's what it looks like to be fully devoted to Christ, to love fully, to live fully. And I'd like you this morning to pray the prayer. I always challenge you to pray. Lord, I will do this thing. This morning, would you pray this? Lord, would I will fully commit. Lord, I will love fully. Lord, I will live fully. Whatever God is laying on your heart this morning, whichever one of those sticks out the most to you, would you promise him, would you say that? You're going to have another chance to sing in a moment. But would you say, 
that to God? Would you pray that prayer and would you mean it from your heart? It'll literally change everything. It'll change your perspective on everything. It'll change every choice you ever make. If not, you're not fully committed to Jesus. Would you fully commit right now?